Well, as we've seen, Peter has, has spoken to servants. He's, he's spoken to wives and husbands. And on this Palm Sunday, Peter now turns his attention to elders of the flock. Peter is getting ready to make a big request of church leaders. And he's getting ready to, to tee it up. And he says this, Therefore I urge elders among you as your fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and one who is also a fellow partaker of the glory that is to be revealed. Peter is saying as your fellow elder. And that word in the original language, that's actually one word. And this is the only time it's used in the New Testament. But fellow elder, fellow, that denotes association. A brotherhood, a kinship, a fellowship. And, and, and when we hear the word elder, well, we first think of age, don't we? Um, but in this setting, the term elder is a title. It, it's a, it, it refers to, to an office in the church. And, and Peter is not only a fellow elder, a fellow leader, he is also a witness of the sufferings of Christ. This time of the year, a lot of churches sing the hymn, Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Peter was there. Peter was there. Peter witnessed all that had happened to Jesus before his death and his resurrection. Peter, he witnessed the arrest. Peter witnessed the trials and the abuse, the mocking, the beatings. Peter was there when, as Jesus told him he would, Peter would deny him not once, not twice, but three times. And And when he denied Jesus on the night of the arrest, that third time, there across the courtyard, when Peter looked over, he saw Jesus watching him. Peter was there. Peter would witness the Lord on the cross on Good Friday. And and, and so Peter is able to speak as one who has been a part of all of these proceedings. Peter is an eyewitness who can give a first-hand, first-person account of the sacrifice which Jesus would pay on the cross for for all of us. And in addition to Peter being a fellow elder, uh, this one who's been in the trenches with other leaders of the flock as the church fellowship has been dispersed in this part of Asia, Peter, a fellow elder, and, and also as one who has been an eyewitness to the Lord, Peter says that he is one who is also a fellow partaker. He's also a fellow partaker of the glory that is to be revealed. Peter partakes. He he shares in the glory which is to be revealed. The return of Jesus. The fulfillment of the consummation of the kingdom of heaven. And by writing this statement, Peter is, is reminding all who would read this letter all who would believe this letter and trust in the claims that this letter represents. Peter is reminding all of us of the hope which awaits all who trust in Jesus and all who trust in what his sacrifice provides. The hope of the resurrection and the final coming of the kingdom of heaven. And as one who is all of these things, Peter uses these descriptives of himself not, not to brag, not to show off, not to name drop or associate drop or event drop. He uses these descriptives to undergird the purpose of the final portion of this letter. Peter is urging these other elders 
Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God, and not with greed, but with eagerness. Shepherd the flock of God among you. When we think of a shepherd, what what comes to mind? (laughs) Some of you have animals. They need some direction. They need some coaxing. They need need some guidance. And and shepherding, it is what it says. It's guarding. It's guiding. And if you've got a flock of sheep, it's folding that flock. For ones like me, shepherding God's flock, it's it's providing spirit-directed guidance in conjunction with feeding the people. And that's Scripture. And, And Peter is saying to these other leaders, he's saying, as you shepherd... You are to exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, not out of constraint or or force. And sometimes other translations help to give some clarity. Some of you may have the NIV in front of you, and and the NIV NIV reads this this way. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Some of you might have the New Living Translation, and it reads the following. Care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. And Peter says all of this should be done according to the will of God. The will of God sets the trajectory of oversight to the ministry of shepherding. Let me say that again. That sounds fairly technical. The will of God sets the, tra- the trajectory, the direction of the oversight to the ministry of shepherding. What does this mean? Well, God is the one who calls and equips the shepherd slash leader. And in a way similar to, and it's not as dramatic for most of us who are called to, to be shepherd leaders, the way that we are called is not really as dramatic as the Lord called ones out to shepherd the tribe of Israel. Uh, For the most part, it's not quite that dramatic. I mean, shepherding God's flock, think about it from the time of the Exodus until now. Moses, Joshua, the judges, the shepherd kings such as David and Solomon, and if you go down the roster of kings, they're all human and they all made mistakes and they had problems. They are human like we all are. You have prophets such as Samuel, Elijah, Elisha, Isaiah, Jeremiah. God called each one. And God is the one who does the calling today. But something else too. God is the one who sets the direction for each flock to honor God the Father by obeying God the Son. Now, details on how we follow might look a little different from church to church, from flock to flock, because we're not all the same. We're not wired the same. We're not built the same. But Peter himself, if you think back on the day when he and James and John followed Jesus up the mount, what we would later know as the Mount of Transfiguration, when they see Jesus in a portion of the glory that is to come, when he is transfigured, The Lord speaks. God the Father speaks and he says, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. 
If you remember the story, Peter wanted to stay on the mountain and he wanted to build tabernacles and stay. Oh, Lord, it's good for us to be up here. And that's when God the Father speaks and says, listen to my son. Hear him. And that hasn't changed for the church. We are to, we're honored to honor God the Father by obeying God the Son. Peter says, shepherd the flock, not with greed but with eagerness. As we know, greed makes things ugly. Greed destroys. And what we see about eagerness, eagerness is, is what will drive desire for the long haul. It's not unlike what we told our kids as we would drop them off the ball field. You need to show some hustle. Peter says, don't be domineering over those assigned to your care, but by proving to be examples to the flock. Peter is telling these leaders to not be domineering. And, and then he uses the phrase assigned to their care, assigned to the shepherd's care. This picture of assignment, who the Holy Spirit leads and where he leads in a similar way to how, how God calls a shepherd to lead the flock, he leads ones to that flock to be shepherded. Maybe you've never thought about that. The Lord led each of you here at some time or another, sometime before the Lord led me here. In, in the same way, the Lord has led some of you here since I've been here. And Peter tells these leaders to be examples to the flock. Lead, don't lead by a power trip, but lead by example. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. The picture of this chief shepherd. Jesus gives us a wonderful, lovely picture of a shepherd in John chapter 10. Jesus said the following. He said, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And how appropriate on this, on this holy week when we look toward Good Friday when Jesus would lay down his life for his church. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. Jesus, our model for shepherding and sacrifice, he will appear. And it's not a matter of if, but when. And when Jesus appears, Peter says, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You and I will be recipients of the glory to be revealed. And 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 tells us that we will see Jesus as he is. John wrote, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We, we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And in addition, we will receive an unfading crown of glory. Paul references this in, in, in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul writes, In the future there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have, who have loved his appearing. So this picture of elders and shepherds, elders in the body, elders who, who lead or have led, while Peter is speaking directly to these ones who are shepherds or under-shepherds, as it were, to the chief shepherd, there is a degree of application 
For those who hold some degree of influence in the flock, do we always lead or represent our ministries willingly? Do we always remember that we are to lead by example? Once, years ago, I heard a church leader make a statement which I've never forgotten. Be careful not to lead your folks in your respective ministries kicking and screaming down the aisle. (laughs) Do we always lead with the spirit of, of hope which points to the glory that is to be revealed? Do we always lead pointing others in a hopeful way to the gospel? What motivates our service? What what should motivate our service? Peter, in verse 5, he says this, You younger men likewise be subject to your elders. And in the original language, younger men, a little bit of grammar here, but there's a point. It's a masculine plural noun, but the way that it's written, it applies not just to men, but it applies to a younger mixed group of, of men and women as well. It applies to both. So why does Peter single them out? Well, culture will draw out our young. We have to shepherd our young. I tell mine, mine are teenagers. I don't parent you like I did when you were four. (laughs) You're older and I have to parent you differently, but I'm still your parent. And sometimes we parents, we shepherd through our scars, don't we? And again, while Peter is, is speaking directly to a certain group in the flock, there is a degree of application for all of us, those younger in the faith. For, for the most part, we're, we're born not knowing an abundance of stuff. We, we learn as we grow. and As in life, we have to grow in faith and the things of God. And one thing that I am reminded of, you may or may not have ever been a parent, but there are always little eyes watching you. Peter then says, All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And, and that's a restatement, actually, of, of a proverb. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34. This, this picture of humility we've seen throughout the entire letter. Remember when we heard Peter remind us that because we represent Christ, we're to be good citizens. We're to be model citizens. We're to honor the authority of of those in charge. We're to honor the authority of kings and governors. And even as we are not indentured servants today, if we're we're working, we we have someone to, to answer to vocationally. We're to submit to some things. As spouses, we're to honor and, and respect one another by ultimately submitting to the Lord. Peter says we are to clothe ourselves with humility to one another. And if we've submitted to the Lord, then we're able to engage one another graciously with humility. We're all sinners. We have to come to the cross on our own. And there's this old saying, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And that's a wonderful thing for us to remember this week with Good Friday looming and what Good Friday means when, when Jesus, the Lamb of God, paid the sin debt for all of us. There at the cross, we've all sinned and we all need salvation. And the ground is level at the foot of the cross. We all are the same because we all need salvation, because we've all sinned. Peter says, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God 
so that he may exalt you at the proper time, having cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Anxiety. What did Jesus say about anxiety in Matthew chapter 6? For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life. As, as what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body, as what you'll put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds in the sky, that they don't sow, nor do they reap, nor gather crops into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more important than they? And which of you, by worrying, can add a single day to his life's span? And Jesus would go on to say a few verses later, For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be provided to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has trouble of its own. I don't believe it's an accident or coincidental, that Peter groups the need for humility and the cure for anxiety together. Peter groups the need for humility and the cure for anxiety together. If you were to flip to the very last book of the Bible, in in the book of Revelation, in chapter 4, there's a picture of worship. There's a scene of worship. The Lord is on the throne, and, and we hear these words, this ascription of praise. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who sits on the throne, to Him, and that's capital H, by the way, to Him who who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before Him who sits on the throne, and they will worship Him who lives forever and ever, And they will cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. These elders cast these crowns, and when we think of crowns, we think of supreme value, aren't we? They they cast their valued crowns before the throne of the Lord. And in the same way, while they may not be crowns in a physical sense, there are things to which we assign great value. There are things in our lives. There are things in our minds. There are things that consume our lives, our focus, things that, which consume our worry, things which make us anxious, these things which take all of our joy and in a sense rule over us. I think that when we can cast those crowns, so to speak, if we can cast those crowns of our lives, We're casting those things which cause us the most anxiety. We're able to cast those on the Lord. We are submitting those anxious crowns under His cross. We are submitting 
those anxious crowns of ours under His cross. And we are continually in need of doing that. We need to continually do that until the day we see His glory revealed and we're able to trade those anxious crowns for that crown of righteousness. You know, it hadn't been... It hadn't been many years prior to the writing of this letter. When, when Peter and the disciples, they, they brought a donkey and a colt and laid their coats on them and Jesus sat on the coats and there was a crowd there and they spread their coats in the road entering Jerusalem. And others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. And coats, why? Well, that's a sign of homage to a king. Branches. That's a sign of a victorious, triumphal entry. And the crowds, they were going ahead of Jesus, and, and those who followed, they're, they're shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna, meaning, save us, we beg you, now. That's a pretty glorious Palm Sunday entry. But right before that, Right before that, Jesus and his disciples, they're approaching Jerusalem and they come to this village, Bethpage, and, and Jesus told a couple of disciples, go to the village opposite you and immediately you're going to find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and, and bring them to me. And this takes place to fulfill what was spoken through the Old Testament prophet Zechariah. And Zechariah wrote this. He said, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Peter would see this humble, gentle king ride into town with all of these shouts of glory voiced by a group of people. And Peter would not yet know the anxiety of what was ahead. Days later, Peter would witness the sufferings of Christ. And on the night before Jesus was crucified, Jesus subjected his will to the will of the Father. And there would not be a crown of glory yet, but a crown of thorns. Jesus would be humbled under the mighty hand, the, the mighty wrath of God. Jesus, who knew no sin, would become sin for us so that we could have his righteousness. And Jesus would be exalted at the proper time. Paul tells us this in Philippians chapter 2. At the proper time, the glory which is to be revealed will be. Like Peter, we will see Jesus, the humble servant, return at last in power and in glory, and we will be fellow partakers of the glory that is to be revealed. Jesus, once humbled, now glorified, is coming back. Are you ready? You can be. You have to admit your sins.
before a holy, righteous God who is a forgiving God. Believe that Jesus, the Son of God, died on the cross to pay the debt for those sins of yours. Confess your faith and your trust in Jesus. We read in, in the book of Romans, chapter 10, verse 9, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, that righteousness that only God can give. With the heart a person believes and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Jesus, once humbled, now glorified, is coming back. Are you ready?